Hey, and welcome back, Dr. William Curtis. Man, oh man, have we filled it a lot of COVID-19 questions this week. We have had a huge spike in my home clinic, Future Focus Family Medicine, in the number of cases of COVID-19 or COVID-19-like symptoms that we have been treating. Every time this happens, I start to get and start to field a tremendous number of questions that always prompts a bonus podcast. Uh, I don't like to repeat myself over and over. I like to work smarter and not harder. So in that, on that note, I'm going to try to answer the top three biggest questions of the week related to COVID-19. And I've also done a recent podcast where I talked about uh, COVID-19 PCR testing. So if you're kind of interested in, you know, what's the benefit of these screening test and you know how accurate are they that type of thing i did cover that you might check in the previous episode episode 102 of the wfo life podcast that's a bonus episode but um today i want to answer the top three questions of the week regarding covid19 this is the week of august 18th 2021 first question should i get a covid vaccine Okay, well, this question might have varied in how I would answer it over the last year. Um, there's a lot of speculation, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of misinformation, um, and of course, uh, there's a lot of new technology, these mRNA vaccines, which I did also cover in a um, longer podcast where I discussed the mRNA vaccines. did that about March or so of last year. If you look in the COVID topics inside of the Future Focus Health Network, scroll down a little ways, it's in there and I do cover, you know, the mRNA vaccines. So as of this date, um, we are seeing, a, a, I think, some statistics that are hard to argue uh, against, against not vaccinating. 98 to 99% of the deaths are currently, during this Delta spike part of the pandemic, are in unvaccinated people, okay? Now, it's still the patients that are at higher risk. And I've been one to be on record as stating that I really wish we would be focusing on the reasons people are at, people are at highest risk of COVID-19, because not everyone is dying from COVID-19, okay? It is specific groups of people that have a higher risk. These are folks with metabolic disease, which falls into the obesity, diabetes, and especially heart disease categories, okay? So, you know, if you look at a average case fatality rate of 1.7% for all general population, well, that's still, that's significant. That's a lot of people. But then if you look at that subgroup, the, the case fatality rate for diabetics, it's closer to 5% case fatality rate. If you look at people with known heart disease, heart failure, these types of uh, metabolic diseases, we're talking about a situation where the case fatality rate is closer to 10%. These are huge numbers, and it's why you're seeing so many hospitalizations and so many tragedies with this during this pandemic. So um, this tremendous spike with a what appears to be, in my clinical experience, a very contagious virus, um, it does appear there's good evidence that most of the hospitalizations and most of the critical illnesses and certainly most of the deaths at this point are in people who are unvaccinated. So yes, I understand there's risk benefits. I've also as said all along, I thought the mRNA vaccine was probably safe and it, they've dosed, you know, 100 million people plus. And I don't see people beating down my door uh, telling me about all their major side effects to these vaccines. I do get the feeling that it's as at least as safe as a flu vaccine. 
and as far as side effect profiles. Uh, what about long term? What about this? I, I, I get all that. We don't know. It's a giant experiment. We, you know, the scientists the, and the eggs that put these virus uh, anti uh, uh, these virus uh, vaccines together um, are doing the best they can to make them as safe as possible. I'm of the opinion that probably at this juncture, the vaccine for people that don't have, you know, severe uh, immune deficiencies or people that don't have uh, severe autoimmune disorders, probably this is a benefit for them to get if they haven't already. You need to do so because you got to get a couple of doses in you uh, before, you know, you're protected. And it's a big, big, uh, you know, widespread issue right now. So should I get the vaccine? The short answer is yes. Number two, does ivermectin help? Everybody wants ivermectin. They want ivermectin preventatively. They want it if they've been, you know, for, for treatment. Well, okay, so look, I read a few articles and I was most impressed by an article I saw in a Indian journal because it wasn't sponsored by a drug company. It was a uh, study where they looked at several hundred patients and what they were looking for was they actually measured vir virus replication in the body, uh, COVID uh, replication. And it actually showed that dosing uh, with doxycycline, which is actually an antibiotic, and ivermectin, and they have a little course, you know, a five-day course and a 10-day course of the doxycycline, they showed that whenever they did that in combination that they got a pretty significant reduction in viral replication. Well, I want some of that, right? That sounded good to me. That's something that, okay, it wasn't, it wasn't some kind of, you know, biased study. It was just a study in a country that's, you know, struggling to, to treat this, and they're trying to find things that help. And that, that, I kind of hung my hat on that, okay? That's, that's one side of it, right? When you look at the research on ivermectin that I've seen uh, as recently as a JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association, um, and others, when they look at both prevention and actual treatment with COVID-19 with ivermectin, uh, that basically they're showing no real clinical benefit. Okay, and so a lot of the a lot of the guidelines when you get from these kind of agencies and that you know that, that review these things is they'll say we can never we cannot recommend nor not recommend this. It's a very neutral kind of thing, and so it leaves the doctors and the patients trying to decide. Well, what should I do? You know, there's some research that says it could be a benefit. There's some that says it can't. The official party line is we can't tell you anything because we there's just not enough evidence, but. Here's my, you know, this is my take. This is for my patients that listen to me and, and, uh, and are asking these questions in our clinic. I have prescribed ivermectin and doxycycline as a protocol with in a probably about 80 patients in the last week and a half. Okay. I have seen zero clinical benefit. Zero. I have not seen anybody magically get better. Now, if you did get magically get better, feel free to post and comment about your experience on ivermectin. I'm happy to hear that. Sometimes I don't always get feedback, okay? But it seems like the folks I've given it to, you know, when you get when you have a bladder infection or let's say, you, you know, if you ever had a bad sinus infection and you know it, you're blowing out brown, greenish boogers and you know that you got a sinus infection or you got a bad bladder infection, you just know it, right? And you go to the doctor and they give you an antibiotic and then you know, one or two doses go by and you're like, whew, I'm better. I'm better already. Okay. That's like a therapeutic certainty, right? You're like, oh yes, it's a bacterial infection. I give them the antibiotic and they magically get better. That makes you feel very, very confident as a physician. Bladder infection, give an antibiotic. They're better. Awesome. Right. But when you give ivermectin to 80 people and you get nothing but feedback that uh, I'm not better, what's going on, what else can I do? 
you know, when you when seven, eight, nine, ten days go by and the patient didn't magically get better like the doctor on Facebook told me they would, then the reality is you have to start to look at that as a as a provider and start to say, well, may, maybe uh, this is not you know this is not really as effective as I thought. Now, am I still writing it right now? Yes, I'm still writing it. Okay, so if you call our clinic, yes, you might be offered ivermectin. I mean, I'm just one doctor, and we've talked about statistics on my shows before where, you know, statistics uh, for, you know, the number of patients I see might be anecdotal. It might maybe just my experience doesn't seem to be very good. But you add up 100,000 doctors treating people with ivermectin for COVID-19, maybe it does improve outcomes. I don't know. But we don't have the evidence right now. I do think that the drug is fairly safe, and that's the other reason I've used it, along with doxycycline. So I'm still hanging my hat on this blocks viral replication thing. Seems to be good. But clinically, I'm underwhelmed, and, and I guess that's the thing that's left me in the lurch a little bit, as well as my patients. And then when you look at uh, preventatives, and, and then I, I can hear the folks say, yeah, yeah, doc, but you know, you, you know what we got to do is we got to talk about prevention. If you would have started it early enough, it would have been effective. Okay, well, maybe. Okay, I can, I can, I can bite on that, right? Because of the viral replication thing. If it's on board and you've been taking it preventatively, well, then maybe it blocks viral rep- replication enough that you don't get sick, so it prevents the illness. Okay, awesome. I could, I could, I could see that rationale. Unfortunately, currently, as I scan through 2021, late 2021 documents, I really don't see any evidence that that's been effective. Okay. So hard to say. Again, uh, it, it's something I'm currently, it is part of my treatment protocol, but it is not something I have uh, fortunately, unfortunately have not seen as, as the wonder drug that we would like to hope that it is. Next, and third of the three questions of the week related to COVID that seem to predominate everyone's minds. Last one is alternative strategies. And I guess this, I should lump this into what else can I do? Okay, I've already got COVID-19 and what else can I do? Okay, and these would be safe things that anyone could do. And certainly uh, my patients that have called here at the office uh, for follow-up or they're not quite well or these types of things, these are things that you probably have heard from me or from my team. So this would be for like people still having cough, still having fever, still having headaches. And by the way, I'm not treating you with this information, okay? So this is just FYI. This is just so you understand there's other things out there. If you have a doctor, call your doctor if you're not well, okay? If you can't breathe, go to the ER, okay? Or try to get emergent care. Uh, this is not this is not Dr. Curtis treating you with this podcast, okay? Just so you understand the uh, disclaimer there. But these are things that I typically recommend. So they're just to educate everyone. The first one, and I ha- uh, tip of the hat to Chef Kimberly, uh, my uh, wife. Um, so this is, uh, she is a Ayurvedic, um, uh, per, you know, kind of health practitioner, and she's also a chef, and her specialty is low-carb um, low carb meals. And one of the things that she came up and we did post inside of the COVID-19 um, uh topic on COVID-19 was Jammu juice. You think, what in the heck is Jammu juice? Well, Jammu juice is one thing that could be done with things that you can get from a grocery store. And it's a uh, tasty little beverage that has numerous, uh, let's call them, um, let's call them anti-inflammatory foods um, that should be of great benefit to you. 
So I'll make sure to post the the recipe for this, but I want to just briefly go over and why this would be important and something you could adjunct to nearly anyone's treatment regimen. This doesn't interact with your medicines. This is be something safe that you can get from the grocery store that you could you could make yourself and be treating yourself. But it has tremendous amounts of anti-inflammatories. It's a tonic. It's a it's a it's a tea, if you will, that you would drink, and it's a, a traditional Indonesian herbal drink. It kind of is refreshing, but it has things in it that have been shown to be very anti-inflammatory, and that's the whole point with killing, with with you know, this whole COVID nineteen issue is that we have tremendous immune response and inflammation that leads to so many problems. So the ingredients include things like turmeric, ginger, coconut water, zested lemon, uh, fresh black cracked pepper, and honey, things like that. So I'm going to leave the ingredients for you to look at. But if you look, I mean, there's there's very few calories in a, in a cup of something like this, but it has protein, it has potassium, it has vitamin C in very large quantities, it has calcium, it has iron. And you can make batches of this and just have the whole family drink it, okay? And it can store in the fridge and all these types of things. So I, I want you to think about, you know, not just what medicine can I take. Sometimes there's nutritional things you can do. And that's why I mentioned Jammu Juice. So look for the uh, link. There's also deep breathing exercises. And this is another Ayurvedic technique, pranayama breathing. I don't have a link for this right now, but I'm, I'm going to try to add a link into the show notes. Essentially, this is a deep a meditative breathing where you're trying to open the lower uh, airways and um, breathing is you know essential to life and I, and certainly people that are suffering with COVID-19 understand that right now because a lot of people are short of breath and their oxygens are low but deep uh, patient and um, breathing and and you know to calming the, the 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 airway is very important and pranayama breathing is a technique um, we have used to some success with our patients also positional rotation what i mean by that is if you imagine um you know you're very you're feeling short of breath things like that if you were to lay over on your stomach what that does is that uh, gravity pulls the organs downward towards the ground and the backside, which is a large portion of your airways in the lungs um, have a little bit of gravity pulling the lungs downwards. This tends to open the air pockets in the backside of the lung and the deep portions of the lung. Now, if you're not comfortable laying like that or if it makes you more short of breath, maybe it's not helpful for you. But I, I have seen patients that have better oxygenation when they roll and rotate like that. So I think it makes sense if you are in, you know, really trying to make sure your lungs stay open and, you know, exchanging oxygen appropriately, it would make sense to periodically go ahead and lay on your belly and then that way you can kind of open up the airways in the back and take big, nice, calm breaths through your nose and blow it through your mouth. Now, people often ask about supplementary things, so I got a very quick list of things that I would consider at this stage would be the top, you know, biggest things I would try. The first is uh, probiotics. That would be acidophilus um, or four by six billion. That's that's common, uh, commonly used in our clinic. I usually recommend two twice daily. Very safe. Essentially, it's a probiotic. The gut is the core of your immune system, and you're probably being treated with antibiotics and all kinds of other stuff, which is uh, going to wreak havoc on your good uh, and bad bacteria in your gut. So you can always replace that, uh, and acidophilus is very well tolerated. The other two things are a couple of products I like to use by Standard Process and MediHerb. These are, uh, I'll put a link uh, so you can, you know, if you're interested in picking up a bottle or have some shipped to you. But the two are Pneumotrophin PMG, 
and bronch effect. Pneumotrophin PMG is a product standard process makes that has a unique profile of minerals. It has nucleotides and peptides uh, in it that tend to help with lung function and improve inflammatory status. That's They have a lot of products like this and it's a food-based product and I think it's very safe and I have used it on and off for years with patients, not just with COVID, but other kind of respiratory inflammation, things like that. It's not a drug, uh, doesn't have any serious side effects of any kind, and it is usually taken three twice daily in the in the way I the way I dose it. There's also a product called Bronch Effect. And Bronch Effect is an herbal product that's got a combination of herbals that tend to decrease inflammation of the airway, tend to help with coughing, things like that. And it's it's kind of a, a one-two punch to give pneumotrophin with Bronch Effect. And I'll again I'll put a show link in there for you. The other big ones that I've talked about all along, probably mentioned numerous times, was vitamin D uh, and zinc. Vitamin D, I typically would push people to take at least 5,000 international units a day. And I would also uh, consider taking at least 30 milligrams of zinc daily, okay? So uh, the one I typically use is one called Zinc Liver Chelate, and I use a product called Cataplex D, but you could get those pretty much anywhere. I just want you to make sure that you're getting the dosing I mentioned. Lastly, Time, fluids, prayer, mindfulness, and uh, maybe even a bit of meditation on health and strengthening, I think, are good things. Get a little sunshine, sit on the porch, um, soak up some vitamin D from the sun. I know this isolation for a lot of people is a struggle, and they feel that a bit helpless because of, you know, like maybe the medicines aren't working as great as they should, things like that. And that's why I mentioned all these other ways and alternative strategies, or let's even call them complementary strategies where you're adding them to what you're doing. Are there other things? Yes, there are. Maybe I'll have uh, Chef Kimberly on, maybe I'll have Dr. Sullivan on in the coming uh, days, and we can talk more about other, you know, deeper, you know, ways that this can be done. But I can tell you the things that I just threw out right there are good starting points. Lastly, if you're really sick and you're hypoxic, your oxygen levels are dipping lower and lower, you can't catch good air, you think uh, you might be in trouble, you have to listen to this. I've had multiple stories of people that, you know, kind of stuck it out too long at home, fear of the hospital, things like that. Most communities, including our community, has an antibody infusion centers now, and some of these are set up in tents, and if it's inside of the first 10 days and you think you're getting dramatically worse, they do have, or if you're at high risk, like diabetic, things like that, they do have antibody infusion tents where you can you know, get a treatment like that. That seems to be helpful. And then in the hospitals, they're they are able to give rendenzivir, uh, which is one of these antiviral medications that seems to be helpful. So again, it's not always a death sentence to go to the hospital. And yes, the hospitals are overwhelmed. Um, but at the same time, do the things that you can control, because that's a lot of t- things what people feel uncomfortable with is they don't have any control of what's happening. And I think we can take control of our bodies. We live in our bodies. And we can do things to improve our own health. We can try to eat better, eat quality foods. And we can add things that help our body work uh, and fight against viruses and bacteria in a, in a you know, a more powerful way. I'm going to stop there. I, this went a little longer than I thought it would, but these questions come up so often. So I wanted to make sure that uh, everyone uh, got to hear this, and I'll post it as quickly as I can. Let me know if it's been helpful for you. Thanks again. This is Dr. William Curtis.